This is the Free Body Podcast, a podcast for every body. I'm your host, Peyton. My guest today is Nicole Pond. Nicole lived with an undiagnosed illness for most of her life. And it wasn't until she was 30 and studying medical biology that she was diagnosed with PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is a severe form of PMS that is a result of a genetic sensitivity to her female hormones. She's since put together that her symptoms from PMDD alongside her own childhood trauma were connected and they'd created chronic depression and anxiety for her from a very young age. As her fascination of the body on a physical and psychological level grew, Nicole illustrates how this led to her cultivating more emotional freedom in her body. We also talk about various acting techniques and my theory that the somatics of creating art or being an actor can either be transformative or destructive, that it's all in the approach and the guidance that you get. So we cover a lot in this episode. I know you're going to love it. This is Nicole. Body memory, I guess, um, I think it all really started um, for me. Like my, my, my dad left when I was 15. And I think for me, like I kind of, and my mum really fell apart. And that was a big significant, you know, for me, for, for about 10 years after that, I didn't realise how much that had impacted my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel it's still very much part of me and it's still very much st- um, in stuck and in, instilled into my nervous system. Right, right, right. And um, the realisation of this is very, uh, it's actually a big realisation that I made recently because um as I told you as I've I've told you previously about my PMDD I got a diagnosis for um premenstrual dysphoric disorder so I had that throughout my entire life didn't get a diagnosis until I was um turned 30 and then when it, it was when I started healing that that I really realized that I there's a big um component to PMDD with trauma yeah and it was only once I started recovering from and being treated for the P- PMDD that these these other stored memories, w- which um, for years I didn't really realize were there, but they mm-hmm. they impacted me in various um, various parts of my life, especially in relationships. My abandonment wounds from my dad leaving, just you know, they were there. I I, ha- I had them there, and it's only really really recently now that I've really started to be able to work on them. So what PMDD is, is it's a genetic sensitivity um, to your fluctuations in your hormones. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very severe form of PMS. So that when, when I was ovulating or when I was um, due on, I would have severe anxiety and depression. And I remember just for years, just not understanding. I was just like, what the hell was wrong with me? Yeah. Like, why do I? And I didn't. I was so oblivious to to it like before I um before so I, I went to do a biology degree when I was 28 mm-hmm. um after I just was I kind of was lost up until then let's say um I went through just lots of bad relationships bad situations not really knowing like what to do with myself I was very much in survival mode that's just mm-hmm. a great way to describe it but not very unknowingly in survival mode yeah so I got a diagnosis when I was um 30 and um 
it manifested as depression and anxiety and I when I started putting the pieces to the puzzle together um this started when I, I enrolled in my medical biology degree when I was about 28 I started realizing that there was a correlation between my monthly cycles and this these these fluctuations and the feeling depressed and it wasn't just depression it's very much it's like your your personality gets taken over and you just feel this it's it it it, it does differ from person to person Mm -hmm. and for me it was very severe and now knowing the traumatic um aspect of it I think that's you know that very much correlated with that yeah and yeah so I used to have very much suicidal thoughts just yeah really really low moods unable to really function that well and And was that happening like every was it happening every month like literally in tandem every month with your cycle wow yes yeah yeah very much every month and I think yeah it was it was very very heavy and for me I just I felt broken I thought that I was broken and I think this is what a lot of people with mental health problems they think that there's something actually wrong with them they think you know that they must be at fault but I think when I when I did my my medical biology degree and started learning more about the human body Mm. and how our brain works and how how it is basically a predictive protective machine that is predicting it instills memories in us to keep us safe that's Mm -hmm. that's a a big part of its job and not only that but it's it's protective like it does these things to protect us from harm but often with very much negative consequences Right, right. It's like these, the, you know, as you're growing up, you develop certain coping mechanisms that maybe worked for you at a time when you were younger. And then there comes a time when it just ends up keeping you sort of stuck in the same loops where you're doing maybe, and they perhaps become maladaptive coping mechanisms that maybe aren't working so well anymore. Exactly. And I had plenty of them. <laughs> plenty. Um, <laughs> Me too. I just, <laughs> and you don't really, and when you get triggered as well, like you think that there's, you have a reason to react to that. And that's because your brain is, is doing all the processing in the background before you even realize that, you know, it's actually going on until you've calmed down and you're out of that state, right, then right. You, you don't even realize it's happening. I mean, that's why I think the body memory thing, like that's part of what, you know, I, I'm learning from doing this podcast, what sort of started this whole thing is like, we 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 get stuck or I got stuck for a long time. I'll just speak for myself, like that my emotions were sort of in my mind and then I would just keep on a loop in my head about it rather than dropping into my body and actually feeling like what is going on in my body and what is this reminding me of also? Like what... What story am I creating and how old is that story? Where does that come from in my childhood? That kind of work, you know? And and I think the work that you do is so important because it's really linking, you know, the emotions are like is a body, is is our body. Our body is our emotions Definitely. and there's no separating it. Exactly. I mean, many people don't realize that your ner- so the nervous system is not just your brain. It it goes you have the vagus nerve that goes down your entire body and then branches out into all of your organs so mental health is not just in your brain it is in your entire body Mm -hmm. and this is a big part of what I do I'm a high functioning anxiety coach and I've 
I utilize a lot of the skills that I've learned in in my biology degree on because I use both a, a somatic approach mm-hmm. and a cognitive approach to tackle not just the thinking patterns that are associated with certain things and the memories, but also the body as it, as that very much stores the trauma in it. Yeah. Absolutely. I would love to hear how how it is linked, like when something's triggered you today, let's say, how you work through that process of bringing yourself, A, back to your body, and then B, into what is this really about and what is this bringing up from maybe my childhood, you know, what's actually ha- what's actually going on? Like, how is that process for you and your work? So, so I guess for me, um, it was... Uh the big thing was kind of understanding about thoughts and emotions and how they're kind of created. Um, so understanding that and that, that they are very, they're not necessarily factual. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a big thing is that we need to kind of, first of all, get comfortable with our emotions, feel, be able to feel them deeply and not feel threatened by them. Mm-hmm. And along with that is, understanding that just because an emotion occurs doesn't mean that it's actually a a representation of your current situation is right now and how it could be from a a memory that that's what you're experiencing so I think a lot of the like cognitive work the thinking patterns and things like that they, they, they are important because that you can slow down the processing of so that you can slow down and be able to maybe not recognize the trigger in the moment but most definitely afterwards and then you can kind of look back at in your life and you know many people don't realize like the abandonment wound for me I didn't realize it and that is that's like a main um thing that people look out for like a psychiatrist would look out for if you don't really identify as that being a traumatic time then it and it probably is a traumatic time for you because your brain is trying to protect you from that traumatic moment yeah so if I think understanding and learning about um do you know what aces are oh adverse yes, yes. childhood experiences so aces anything that happens to you um before you turn 18 is is very very impactful because you're still in that those developing years and right a father figure who or a mother figure that can't regulate their emotions or you know has their own stuff going on or dismisses you or you know one of the if you grow up not necessarily in a single parent household but if one of your parent figures leaves dramatically for no reason that just as a child that impacts you your nervous system because you are in that very vulnerable state and because you're in that vulnerable state it you know your brain does everything to protect you and that's how these triggers are kind of how they're created right right so there's a lot of generational trauma within my family I've got my dad's uh, Greek Australian um, left to go to Australia during the war, lots of um, siblings, so that there, there was a lot. My mum's side, also lots of other bits of trauma, and mm-hmm. I've got an agoraphobic aunt, I've got many, many, lots of um, mental illness within the family. Um, and for me, I think my mum my was 
bless her she's you know she, through no fault of her own she just didn't know how to regulate her emotions yeah. didn't know wasn't taught um very overwhelmed and she was very focused on appearance mm. appearance mm. appearance was a priority you know what you look like that was her priority and that's how she was brought up that right. you know girls were men and look pretty so I think there was a lot of pressure from that standpoint sure. and that was the priority as well to look good Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't about education. It wasn't about, you know, obtaining things in life. It wasn't about pursuing anything. And that was very much how my mom was brought up was to worry about her looks. Yeah. And I think as she aged as well, and you know, as all of us our, our looks do diminish to some degree, that played that that really hit her quite hard, I think. And that definitely affected me as well, because you know, when you're brought up to think that your looks are just the most important thing and when they're just not you know they only get you so far right Mm -hmm. right and you know and that's again like a societal program thing like who actually decided that wrinkles were unattractive who actually decided that cellulite was unattractive or whatever it is you know these are these are just these are constructs actually and they're not real (laughs) you know true So there was a breakdown of my my parents' marriage, and he just kind of disappeared. And we he went to Africa, and we kind of didn't hear from him for like ten years. He just completely disappeared. My mom struggled really badly, um, really really badly, because she just she had to take care of us kids, and it, she really fell apart. Bless her, and that really impacted our entire family. You know, my mom was very much living in survival mode for a long time. What did you do as a child to navigate the, that environment, you know, growing up, did you, were there things that you turned to that helped or, or moments of disconnection? You know, I'm curious about moments that you felt connected to your body, even in that environment versus moments where you maybe felt more disconnected from your body during that time. I, I, I honestly don't remember a time when I felt connected to my body those times. I was completely, completely just dis- dysregulated and drank like we used to drink a lot. We used to mm-hmm. just, you know, do drugs, anything to for some kind of escapism. Right, right. And well, Gabor Monte, was- ta- that's, that's the, like, he talks about addiction is just, you know, it. Uh, not everyone who's traumatized is addicted, but everyone who's addicted has unprocessed trauma is his theory yeah 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 I love uh, love his work and love yeah. everything he talks about and it's yeah it's, it's it's true like addiction is you know we need to treat this as a you know going a little bit off topic but addiction very much does need to be treated like yeah. as a mental health problem rather than Absolutely. an addiction problem because people are you know trying to fight their pain they don't know how to deal with their pain and this is their only way of dealing with it yep yep so you were using alcohol to sort of maybe numb or lessen the the pain that you were experiencing at the time lots of escapism lots of going to different countries just living there and just being a bit wild and partying (laughs) and yeah I think I did a bit of traveling and that did open me up a bit and you know I went I went to Australia myself and because I've got family there lived there for a bit and 
I kind of, I think Australia was a bit of a turning point for me because I went there after a bad breakup. Uh, the breakup really messed with my abandonment wounds and created a lot of pain for me. And it was really devastating. And I really, they say there's some research actually that says about women that go, when we go through breakups, we go through a, a, a period of post-traumatic growth. Talk to me about and that. I'm not familiar. Yeah, with this. so I was uh, I was reading a paper, and it's actually really common with women. Like when they go through a traumatic breakup, mm-hmm. they go through a period. They, the grieving period at the beginning will be very hard, and men normally go through their grieving periods quite a bit later. They because they, in the beginning stages, they normally distract themselves with right. new partners and whatnot. And women, we once we've gone through our painful phase, we will go through a, a phase of post-traumatic growth and. Mm-hmm that's exactly what happened to me I just I was like I need to do something with my life went to Australia came back I was like I need to get a degree and I need to get my life together and that's when I enrolled in my well I had no qualifications so it was a bit of a uh I had to do like two years of other stuff to get into a degree program um so then I went and did my medical biology degree met my now husband there um which was it was just the biggest turning point for me because not only was I educating myself about my body but I was also kind of expanding my knowledge or and capacity for learning and I kind of learned that I was capable of a lot more than what I had been doing Yeah. yeah I realized that I was I realized that I was smart and that I had a brain and that I could use it for things to help people do you have can you think of like a moment like and what that moment was when you were like I that realization of how you wanted to move forward in your life yeah yeah well yeah I have to first of all I have to say that I did not handle the breakup very well it was a year of 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 very tra- like I, I could barely function for about a year I got, went into a really bad depression got an antidepressant so you know there was a year of me being in a lot of pain before anything moved forward did you feel like the medication was like had you been on antidepressants before that point and how was that helpful for you um so antidepressants for the thing is with people that have pmdd it's um it's actually really different for us because they start working straight away and it, I, I don't know the mechanism behind that but huh. th- yeah i had a really good experience with antidepressants oh, that's great that's great yeah yeah, really good experience. And they really got me out of the hole that I was in. And with antidepressants, like they, you know, because they, your body gets used to them, they don't stop working. You have to do the work alongside them. Mm. But they're good for a boost, especially if you're in a, in a dark place, if you're burnt out, or if you're really depressed and you can't seem to, you know, focus on the healing. That's right. what they're good for. Um, but the pivotal moment for me was meeting my husband. He was, he came from a really, you know, he comes, he was grew up on a council estate, but his family was just so loving and warm. And he had such a great like childhood and he had such good morals and that I just kind of, he introduced me just to, to a new way of thinking of like, not only just critical thinking and, you know, looking at how I can make my life possibly the best it can be. And Mm -hmm. How can I rid myself of this self-sabotage that I'm stuck in? Yeah. God, what a gift. But, yeah, honestly. And, you know, it was, it was, I definitely put it down to meeting him because he really, he really helped me see myself for being better than I thought I was. Mm. And that, that gave me the boost to kind of just push myself to just keep going and keep going and keep going. What led you to seeking a 
medical biology degree specifically? Like, had you always been interested in biology or medical biology? Like, what? where did that come from? And, and do you have moments where you remember, like, did you even think about it when you were growing up? Like, what did you think you'd be doing when you were a kid, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't... I think as a kid, that's a, I don't remember really having that much ambitions as a kid. I don't remember caring about school. I don't really remember mm-hmm. having much of a focus. I don't know, like, how much of that was, you know, me and my sister. I've got a little sister as kids. If that was just, you know, we weren't that interested. Or my parents. I don't really know. But yeah. I, so what happened, I had a friend who was a nurse. And she really enjoyed being a nurse. And I did an access course to be a nurse. Oh. but re- yeah so it was a real turnaround but realized there was a big biology aspect of that on that and that, that I was just fascinated by the human body and once I started learning about it I was just like I need to know more I want to oh, this is this is what you know I realized that that was the thing that was really spiking my interest I mean you were like listening to your inner voice there yeah showing yeah. you the way I, I feel like yoga was sort of that door for me it took a long time because of all the all the other stuff I was working through but I I really do feel like because I started practicing yoga when I was 14 um wow it was incorporated into a lot of my acting training actually throughout all of the year the many years of acting training I've been through has always involved movement and stuff but there was something about yoga and I feel like it was doing things unconsciously like I was I was shifting because of those somatic practices, you know, um, and I'm so, so lucky and fortunate that I found that found that at a young age. You know, I think that really like I actually this is a quick story. Um, are you familiar with Suzuki viewpoints at all? It's a it's a form of theater training. that's very movement based. It's very intense. No, no, no. Um, there's like. Yeah, it's it's really cool. The city company does a lot of really beautiful work um, using this sort of method of training. But essentially, it's like you're on hardwood floors or Marley floors. We've done it on that. But you stomp, you do various uh, intense physical exertion exercises, and then also and then you will speak text while you're in these very <laughs> difficult really? positions. Basically, yeah, it's it's incredible. And then and then viewpoints is kinesthetic awareness basically where it's you within the ensemble and you're literally training your body to trust your instincts and to be connected with everyone else in the room connected with the space Mm. so you're aware of everything um so it was doing all of these these amazing things to me and I've been thinking about this a lot lately that that saved me in a couple ways Mm. initially because it was such a physically you know exhausting practice that when I was in my junior in high school when we started doing it um I remember, and I, I was, I definitely had disordered eating at this point in my life. I would even, oh, I was never diagnosed as with an eating disorder specifically, but I was skipping meals and I wasn't eating a lot and I was very hyper, you know, had a lot of anxiety and, um, and we were do in the middle of Suzuki class, which I loved. And I almost, like, I felt like I was about to faint. Like I almost fainted in the middle of class cause I just didn't eat lunch that day. And, oh, wow. and when that happened, I was like, that's when the light bulb went off. It's like, oh, if I, like, I, I want to be able to do this class. I have to eat food. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm going to no. have to, like, eat a meal, you know? Um, and so in a way, like, acting slash these movement practices 
ended up helping me get out of my disordered eating. I mean, it was a struggle for many years, but um, that was a big moment for me. It was in another moment, like in my senior year of high school when I was doing a play, we did Suzuki Viewpoints every day to prep for this play. We used it in the show. And it was the first time I really felt connected and safe. And I'm, I am now convinced that it's because I was literally doing these somatic practices that made me feel yeah. safe in my body and feel safe yeah. in a company with people, which I'd never felt before. Like I, you probably relate, like I didn't feel safe with other people for a very long time. Yeah, Just yeah. Trauma will do that to you, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is what it is. I'm wondering, like, what are some of the practices, the somatic, because you said you do a lot of somatic work. What are some of your favorite somatic practices? Do you have a daily sort of routine that you do to kind of bring yourself home to your to your body? And what does that look like sure. for you? And how did that come about? Like, how did you find sure. them? Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's that very um, touching. And um, oh. <laughs> yeah, really, Thanks for really listening. Nice <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And I've, I've never heard of that practice before, so I'm going to uh, have a read. And I am a big yogi as well. Oh, that is, well, there you I go. I love yoga. Yeah, I love yoga. That's that's yeah. definitely, that was a big part. I, I didn't start, I only started a few years ago, but it really, um, it really, that's what drove the whole somatic side for me. And that's when yeah. I started feeling connected with my body again, that, I start, I was just able to, I think it really enhanced my, just my quality of life because I was, I felt more at ease and I mm -hmm. felt, I started doing it and I could just feel just how good it was for my body and how good I felt afterwards. With regards to what I do in my practice, I, so I did start to do, I was planning on becoming a yoga teacher, but I launched my business at the same time and was like, no, I can't do, I couldn't do both. <laughs> it's a lot. Like, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. So I had to put that on hold, but one day I will do that. But I'm very into breath work, mm -hmm. meditation, um, any just, you know, I, I don't know the formal, um, there's probably names for certain practices, but just feeling into your body and, yeah. you know, sitting there and guiding, I guide my clients through certain like somatic feelings and mm -hmm. just where the emotion is felt within the body yeah getting people I think getting you just in touch with your body like how it how it feels during certain emotions and thoughts getting people familiar with that is just yeah. is so powerful and it can really just it gives people it's empowering because mm -hmm. it just makes you feel because you feel so disconnected and it's the disassociation that comes with traumatic experiences. Yeah. And that is, again, a protective mechanism. So when you start feeling safe and fit, coming back to your body, you feel like a human being again. You're not living right. up in, in the clouds because yeah. you're back, you're in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fat? Like that just blows my mind that we spent, I spent so much time like living in my body in this world navigating everything day to day and not actually feeling connected like when i think of how i used to handle triggers you know it would be i would be so much more reactive because and i realize now that that was because i was avoiding feeling the emotion yeah. in my body i was i was instead reacting uh, rather than like responding to what was going on 
And that's, again, you know, as we touched on earlier, that's that chronic that chronic dysregulation of the central nervous system. And it's also, you touched on the vagus nerve, which I think is so interesting because it weaves in and out of all of these parts in our body where we often feel these emotions. That blows yeah. my mind. And that aligns with the chakra system. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, and, the, um, and our OG's endocrine really system. And yeah, it's like, it's all this down the center, right, of our bodies. And each sort of part, like if you feel heartbreak, there's a reason we, we feel, you know, heartbreak. It feels like that in your chest. And when you feel fear, my stomach dropped down. Like that's actually a sensation that we feel. And I, 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 it just blows my mind that I was unaware of, I wasn't allowing myself to experience it because it was painful and pain is scary to feel because yeah. it does feel like, you know, your body thinks your central nervous system is like, oh, pain means maybe death. So let's not feel that. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's exactly. Why, like having having caregivers who like teach us how to regulate our emotions and show us how to do it is so important because otherwise, like Most you know, of it isn't people's fault, you know, but m many people have just gone through even the worst kind of people that are very, you know, reactive and are just very dysregulated and unhappy and they they you know they show that in anger and hating society and hating certain things and just being very but it that's normally a trauma that's a trauma response right. your body has gone through pain so it's built up this anger to defend to keep you safe right and i think I've, i was talking about this to to, to one of my clients actually just the understanding how your nervous system works yeah. would just I think they should teach that in schools I do too that's actually I feel like that's part of my life's purpose I just want to bring this information to everyone and there's still a lot yeah. of like in my research at least online you know about the polyvagal theory specifically you know it's still it's not necessarily mainstream yet although I do feel like I'm hearing about it a lot more like I'm hearing people who um we at least are taught we've been talking about fight flight freeze and fawn for a while um but yep. how that is connected like what that means in accordance to the central nervous system is so key and getting to a ventral safe place is is not always our like default you know exactly and that safety that 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 ventral like a state doesn't feel safe when you've been in survival mode because you think your body thinks that it needs to keep you safe so safety is not a choice you know you can't be feeling safe because you're in danger so it can be very it's hard in the beginning especially when you start to, to regulate because your body and brain and your whole your whole being is going to resist that yeah because it doesn't seem safe it's like this is something i'm not i resisted learning like how to how to meditate for so long Nicole like, really so long I would yeah and I was doing yoga you know and I my very valid excuse was like my meditation is my yoga practice like my doing mm. asana just movement was my meditation and in a sense it was that was like the med the only meditation at the time that I in my dysregulated state could like do and feel safe doing the thought the unconscious thought of sitting still by myself was like absolutely not no no <laughs> and I'm yeah. a loner like I'm an introvert I love being alone so I you know I would that would be another excuse like I'm alone all the time I love being by myself and it's like well I was I was just still alone maybe but I was distracting myself from just sitting and feeling <laughs> what's yeah, going yeah. on yeah you know yeah. it is terrifying because again like 
your body sees pain as a cue of danger. And if you get a cue of danger, then your central nervous system is going to do its job and do what it thinks is going to protect you from feeling that pain because that pain might mean death. And exactly. Exactly. <laughs> especially like shame, that's a doozy. Mm -hmm. That one is painful. Mm -hmm. That was such a, a, a shining light for me, that realization, you know, yeah, yeah, that yeah. your body literally does, is afraid to feel the pain of your emotions, even though you won't die. You just won't. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially if you have support too. Like support is so important, which is why I would love to talk more about like, how has that been going for you as you've started your business and now that you're working with clients? Like, how is that feeding you, Nicole, as you're sort yeah. of bringing this work to other people now? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing, to be honest. It's, you know, I've, I've overcome, I, I specialized in high functioning anxiety because that's kind of a state that I found myself in for quite a while, especially during my degree. I kind of moved from this low functioning, really debilitated anxiety to push, push, push. Yeah. I need to get things done. I need to do, I need to, you know, be perfect. I need to people yeah. please. I need to take care of everyone else but myself. Um, I did a lot of, I did a lot of like cognitive um, type therapies and counseling, which helped to, to some degree. Um, I think for, for me, I think the biggest, the biggest part of it is, it is a combination between everything that I've done. Uh, I think the counseling, the different types of therapy, I did some, have you heard of dialectical behavioral therapy? No, what is that? So it's DBT. So it's, it's DBT. It's I've people, heard DBT. Yeah. So it's for people that generally have personality disorders, but it's, I found it's really useful because it taught me meditation. It taught mm. me how to start with meditating. It also taught me emotion regulation skills and ways of slowing down my processing so that it wasn't overwhelming me and right. that really helped I also had coaches that helped me with my confidence as you I mean I don't know about you as an as as an actress do you feel that as an actress you it brings it, there's no place of hiding your your like your trauma that's a good question I feel like for me acting was the place when I was younger that I felt safe to feel yeah. emotions. Oh, okay. It actually, I, and I, that's a recent discovery for me because I've wondered for a very long time, like, why the hell am I an actor? This is so hard. <laughs> it's yeah, so hard. Really? And there's so many triggers. I mean, the industry and the pathway forward is just laced with trigger after trigger after trigger for someone like me. And I think for many actors, like, you know, facing quote unquote rejection, which I don't really think of it that way anymore. Yeah. Right? And I didn't, I think I subconsciously probably did because I was living in a victimhood mindset for such a long time. But um, but nowadays, you know, over the last few years, I think it's just like, oh, it, it actually has nothing to do with me. It's just in, in a sense, it's doing this work has just kept things less personal because yeah. it's not most of the time. It's yeah. really not. And if it is like that's still perception, that's that's their perception. And my perception may not align with theirs. And that's OK. Um but the but the work, like all of the somatic work that you have to do as an actor and in in training at, to be an actor, like it it did 
start that journey for me of connecting to my body, even though I wasn't able to drop down deep for a very long time. And then the emotional aspect of it is actually so key. And even in the acting world, Nicole, like they, I've had lots of teachers and I understand where this is coming from, not want us to spend much time on the emotion in a scene, right? Because it's, I think the idea there is you want it to happen naturally because some actors I think do use acting as a form of what they think is therapy, which I happen to think, because there's not a lot of trauma-informed teachers out there, um, is actually can be really harmful if you don't have the support and the guidance that you need. It can actually bring up something that maybe, and and, and um, push you beyond your threshold of tolerance for yep. experiencing something that's happening. And and you know, as you're acting, your body is, doesn't know the difference when you're acting and, and in life. Like it's, again, it goes back to the body. So if I'm feeling away in the scene, I, I need to have the knowledge and wherewithal to be able to release that, move it through my body so that it doesn't stay there. This is why I think like, are you familiar with method acting? Like what that is? It's, it's uh, when someone stays in character all the time oh yes 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 and sometimes for you know not for everybody but it can lead to some toxic work environments because you know i think there was this is a funny example but um jared leto when he played the joker he would oh yeah just terror he was terror he was a terror to work with for these people the things i've read that he did you know and 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 he would defend it saying well i'm just you know this is how i work and i'm like no you guys like we don't have to stay attached the to the characters we're playing, you know, and um, and I think a lot of that's fear, and it's also like thinking that if I let if I let it go, like it, how will I get it back? Like there's a little bit of that, but anyway, I'm getting a little off topic. Um, but it is fascinating, yeah. like how much all of this links to acting because acting is dealing in emotion. Like God, if I'm not connected emotionally to what's going on in a scene, then. It, it nothing's gonna happen. I won't even be able to do my lines. I've learned that I actually need a really strong point of view when I'm learning lines in wow. order to remember them. And when I go up on my lines, it's either when something, maybe a, a shift has happened that I was really not expecting, like earlier on in a rehearsal process, or it's when I've lost my point of view that I actually am not sure what the character is thinking or feeling at that moment. Um, and it's not like I'm sitting there and going, this moment she's angry and this moment she's <laughs> scared. You know, it's it's definitely like using what the other actor is sort of giving me and allowing yeah, yeah. my body to respond in that environment. And that takes a lot of like cultivating safety in the body. And I think w- what I really would love to do in this lifetime as I, you know, continue my acting career, I also want to bring this sort of work to artists because there is such a there is such a scarcity mentality in within you know the the whole uh, starving artist thing like that there's mm. there's all of these quotes that I can think from all of my training from well-meaning teachers who are just trying to protect us from a really hard industry to be in and yeah. the key that's missing is this trauma informed work I really believe that that's like the next move forward in in all of our industries, in all of our systems. Like it's it's this disconnection from our emotions and feeling our emotions that has gotten us, I believe, to this place that we find ourselves in now where everyone's dysregulated and everyone's addicted and everyone's traumatized and stuck in, you know, whether it's in victimhood or 
more of maybe a narcissistic point of view or mm, mm. predatory behavior. Like all of that is linked to the stuff that we're talking about. So I could talk for hours about this. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Oh no, that was that was honestly it's so fascinating because I, yeah. you know, for me, I don't, I just don't have an insight into the acting world. And for me, I kind of would have think that people would use it as like some kind of escapism to play other right. people. I think that's true too for some people. I definitely think that's true. I, I think that was true. I don't want to speak for the person. I'll speak for her, whatever. My mom, <laughs> I think. Oh, really? You know, okay. like with what she did, what she's, what she had been through in her in her life. You know, she's been through a lot, and the industry was not very kind to her um, for for many years. And as it wasn't kind to any women who, after you turned thirty, yeah. like in the nineties, oh, cool. you were okay. done. Like that was it. And her agents would even say at the time, she's not with them anymore, thank God. But they were like, you know, you can't go out for this 30 year old role, even though you're 30, because you're too old now to go out for even though your age is the same. And I mean, and that's still that still exists in the industry. I think it's getting better. But, you know, this ageism thing, again, going back to like, who has made up these stupid arbitrary rules about what is attractive and what isn't attractive, where it's so youth obsessed and I think that's probably trauma-based too. Yeah. You know, it's definitely. like the fear of death. Like, is it just us yeah. being afraid of dying? <laughs> yeah. But actually, yeah. like, it's the journey is the beautiful part because we gain so much wisdom as we age, you know? Exactly. I have so much exactly. gray hair that I get excited about now. Oh, good. I do. Me too. I, Me too. Yeah. I'm getting I'm wrinkles. Like, oh, I'm just like, yes. yes. Experience. Life has been lived, yeah. you know? That's, yeah, that's my yeah. growth showing on my face or whatever. So. Exactly. Yeah. But it's tricky. Well, they say that they say youth is wasted on the young, and I kind of, you know, I do kind of in a bit agree with that because yeah, I think you, especially if you've gone through things that like we've gone through, and you've gone through traumatic experiences, and then you you figure yourself out when you get older, and you kind of, you know, you learn what you like, you learn about what your thoughts are, and you work on them. And I feel in the best place I've been in my entire life now like after I've done all done things and you know I'm not I'm 36 now so I'm going to be hitting 40 soon yes and I feel you know the best that I've ever really felt mm -hmm. so it is a shame that we do put that that stigma on aging it because yeah. it, it is just an age it really is it is just an yeah. age yeah you might not have your youth um that you know the energy and things like that but mm -hmm. you know you're still you're still a valid human being who can experience and enjoy life absolutely and i and i like you couldn't drag me back to my 20s you no. couldn't pay me to go back to my 20s no and that's way. not to say like i'm very grateful for all of the ruckus and the lessons that i had to learn in my 20s to get to where i am now for sure um but once you start taking responsibility for your own life, which is tricky to do in your 20s because we're not like in a way you're st like our, I think the I think the male brain doesn't finish developing until age 25. Yeah, I yeah. I think the female brain finishes at 21. You'd probably you would know better than me. But I can't, um, I can't remember this. Something like yeah, something like that, like where our brains aren't even done yet. It's almost like a second childhood. It's like <laughs> It's like, okay, mm -hmm. you have no you have no caregiver now. You're supposed to figure out how to be a responsible adult. And that just doesn't happen overnight, especially oh if you've had so much like, you know, adverse experiences growing up because 
it's, it's, it feels right now to me like I'm learning a new way to exist as a human being. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too, completely and utterly. And it's exciting because you're just becoming a new kind of person and a happier and more fulfilled person and you're figuring out everything that you want in your life. And you're just doing it not for the sake of doing it, you're doing it because it's what you want. Yes. I mean, that's it. Like authenticity versus attachment, right? Like Dr. Gabor Amate talks about, like (laughs) it's key. And that's the journey. Cause in your twenties, I think we're in many ways, at least for me, I was clinging to my attachments way more than my authenticity. That was the big battle. Definitely. Definitely. One thing I've realized with launching my, um, my coaching is I just want to be you know, I, I, I have to be myself because I want to attract people that are going to like me and that yeah. are going to want to work with me. And they're going to, you know, so I've had to, it's been hard to, especially when you put yourself out there and I don't have any, I've not, I've never been good, like with photos and cameras and, you know, putting myself out there. I've never really been, <laughs> n- never been my personality really. So it has been hard, but I've, you know once you learn to be authentic and to be yourself it's just it takes such a weight off your shoulders because you're not dragging around all this what I'm trying to be I'm just me and that's that's another thing that I do with clients is like once we've done a lot of the healing stuff we work at really um identifying what our skills are and not not our skills in work but our innate skills like our people skills, our empathetic skills, or, you know, there's so many things that we can, uh, whether we value honesty or integrity and just that is such a, once you identify that and also doing that, you can identify why you get triggered by certain things as well. Because if, if something is something for me, freedom and stability are like my big values. So if someone, you know, crosses that, that will trigger me. And I know that, and that's, and learning that about myself has just has just opened even more room for growth. I mean, it's the key to freedom. Yeah. I have one last question for you. Sure. If you could describe a moment, and maybe it's recently or maybe it's earlier on, where you did feel this like deep connection to yourself, to your authenticity, um, and what that was like, like, just tell me about that experience, how it came to be and, and why it's important to you. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's very much been very recent with, you know, now that I'm getting more clients within my line of work, I think because I've been able to, I worked with a coach to kind of really, um, a great friend of mine, and she really helped me just realize that I had things to offer and that I should be myself and, when I started implementing some of the stuff that she kind of taught me, that enabled me to attract my ideal clients. And when I started working with them, that's when I really felt myself just embody the kind of person that I always wanted to be. And learning that, so being a coach, I think that's the reason I stopped being a scientist is because I very much wanted to help people and I very much wanted to help people on a more personal and direct like level with with science it's much more far removed you know you're in a lab all day 
So when I got to really, like, I love people. I love building relationships. I love building, you know, getting to know people. You know, I love meeting new people and finding out about, you know, their their stories. That is just that just lights me up, and and that's when I really felt embodied in myself. That was Emotional Freedom in the Body with Nicole Pond. You can find Nicole's Instagram at I am Nicole Pond or check out her website at NicolePond.com to learn more about her. She offers one-on-one coaching and is also starting a group program in July. And if you want to hear more body stories, please make sure you subscribe, share, rate, and review. I have more bonus episodes coming soon, so follow us on Instagram at FreeBodyPodcast to stay in the loop. And as always... Feel free to send us a DM if you have your own body story you'd like to share or if you have any thoughts or questions. Thank you so much for listening and your continued support means the world. Until next time, be well.